On this episode of Inside Boxing Live, it is a very important episode because we're going to touch on fighter safety, traumatic brain injuries on the heels of Eidos Yorbosanili, who is in a medically induced coma. It's a conversation that needs to be had, and we're going to tackle it, uh, as well as some of the headlines that are coming out of WBC convention. Uh, some fights are being ordered, and also there are some fights this weekend. Not the biggest schedule, but some fights of note. So we'll get all into that coming up right next on Inside Boxing Live. What is up, my friends? Welcome into another edition of Inside Boxing Live, a production of John Boy Media, Dan Canobio, Chris Algieri with you every single week. Producer Ronnie is here as well. Chris, hurricane bearing down again on Florida. You're not in your yellow uh, rain suit. Uh, what is the latest? Can you give us a weather update? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very weak it's hurricane and cold, more of a tropical storm than anything, but it should be touching down pretty soon, but we've been just getting just some wind and some rain, nothing, nothing too bad. Now that you're a Florida resident, do you find yourself knowing more and more about the weather? Yes. Yeah, because it actually matters here. There's, there's you know, we, we basically have two seasons. It's like brutally hot and well, three seasons, brutally hot hurricane season, and then like the most beautiful place you could ever live. So and we're in hurricane season right now currently yeah it's on tail end it's so weird to have an actual storm surge right now it's so late in the season but you know it's been uh it's been that kind of year ronnie uh how are you doing uh your ronnie uh, ronnie's rocky review last week i'm the guy i got tweets i got texts people were upset uh i said yeah. listen ronnie's a real one he's not going to just tell you what you want to hear uh, he gave it to you straight. Like, do you have any regrets about such a harsh review of Rocky One? Listen, we're a boxing show, but I'm not going to pull any punches. All right, so <laughs> I will be straight with you. Um, I my opinion is nothing of note, but it's honest. Yes, uh, we don't have a Rocky review at the end of the show. We have a casual corner returns at the end of of the episode. Of course, that's something we did for a while. Um, but let's get into it, Chris. Obviously, um, not the best topic, but we always said once we put together this show, once you came on board, we're going to hit topics that we don't always want to hit. PEDs in boxing, one of our most watched and viewed episodes we've done uh, on this was very important. And another topic that I'm going to be honest, like I've done over 190 now of these episodes, haven't spent a lot of time on fighter safety. And that is because I think a lot of people in the media a lot of boxing fans, a lot of people involved in the sport, they, I wouldn't say they like to sweep it under the rug, but they just kind of like don't want to talk about it. It's like some, you know, the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Uh, and that's fighter safety, that's traumatic brain injury. Unfortunately, this past Saturday, Showtime uh, boxing card that I was doing the Compu Bucks for, and I was counting the punches, which made it even more tough to watch for, for, for myself. Uh, David Morrell. In the main event, 168-pound, I would say, prospect slash contender. Really good. Going up against Ados Jabarsanelli. And long story short, Ados Jabarsanelli is in a medically induced coma. Um, he took a lot of punishment in the fight. One-way traffic throughout the entire fight. Not a mismatch on paper, which makes things more, more complicated. But this is something that I want to spend time on, and it's something that isn't talked about a lot, and that's, that's fighter safety, Chris. 
Yeah, I mean, this is something that I actually have spoken a lot about, maybe not so much publicly, but I've, I've actually presented at the Ringside Physicians uh, annual conference several times, and I've uh, been involved with um, some research and some studies in the scientific world when it came to weight cuts and, and, uh, and brain health and TBI, done multiple talks at neuroscience conferences regarding uh, head injury, TBI related to, to trauma to the skull from, from, from boxing matches and how it relates to uh, cutting weight and being dehydrated. It's just one of like exactly what you said. It's one of those things that people don't really like to talk about, but it's a harsh reality of the sport. We understand this is a very dangerous game, but more and more recently, it seems that we're seeing fighters who are either permanently affected negatively or, you know, are injured or actually, or and actually die on, on very well televised arenas and we're seeing fights where that are on major networks where young fighters are, are are succumbing to injuries in the ring it just seems like it's happening more and more often lately yeah i mean this is we've said this for a while like we have so many streaming services now it's the golden age of watching boxing uh not always getting the best fight the best but you can get these streams now you can see fights more than ever um but on this segment here i i, I want to talk about what can be what can change pre-fight what could change on fight night? What can change after the fight? Um, and in terms of, of this fight, a lot of things went wrong during the fight, and a lot of things went wrong afterwards. Almost a perfect storm of everything that could possibly go wrong, every mistake that could possibly uh, be made when it comes to this. But just to go back to the fight, uh, if you didn't watch it on Saturday night, it wasn't a, a, a huge card, so there are a lot of boxing fans, at least the ones that were talking to me or responding to my tweets, did not watch it. Your, your boss Anoli is an undefeated fighter, so it wasn't a mismatch on paper. Um, David, they had a, a common opponent, and Lennox Allen, who your boss Anoli knocked out, who went the distance with Morell. This is a, a WBC uh, secondary belt uh, mandatory bout. Not a mismatch on paper by any means, but this was a mismatch in the ring from the fourth round on. From the fourth round on, after four rounds. Your Bostonelli was getting outlanded 82 to 21. You could see there was discrepancies in talent. There was discrepancies in hand speed, discrepancies in defense. The first four co uh, punch combination of, of the first round, Morell just pieced him up. His head was snapping back from the first round on. So in the sixth or seventh round, I was with my dad, and he's obviously seen a lot of fights, and he knows the signs. Complete face swelling, not just one isolated error, the complete face, which is sign number one. Number two, uh, the blinking, erratic blinking, nonstop, nonstop. And we're seeing yeah. this. I'm seeing this from our office, our studio office on Long Island. How are they not seeing it at ringside? So eighth, eighth round, I'm like, okay, he's not going to win this fight outside of a punch from the gods. And they're just going to keep letting it going on. The corner didn't step in. The referee didn't step in. The ringside physician didn't step in. It was clear that he wasn't going to win the fight. It was clear that it was a turn, it was turning into a mismatch. Twelfth round comes. He gets knocked down. He gets up. He gets a point taken away for holding. He wasn't holding for an advantage. He was literally holding because he could not stand up anymore. So I'm thinking at this point, okay, we're already four or five rounds too far into this fight. Now they can stop it. He's been knocked down, stopped the fight. They let it go on. Gets knocked out bad to the point where Morell is carrying him to the corner, the fighter. How does this happen? He was failed by his corner, number one. 
He was failed by the referee, Tony Weeks, who's refereed huge fights. Ringside physician, it's literally your job to sit there and you're fixated on these two fighters. So that is bringing up the speed. Just all that being said, Chris, how many mistakes were made that night in the during the course of the fight? You know, we spoke about this off air and, you know, how many layers and levels of, of failure for the fighter that occurred prior to that stoppage, prior to the end result? Uh, like you said, I mean, th- there's there's the 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 corner, the referee. Um, you know, you, you you look at you can't blame David Morrell. Like he was doing his job. His job is to go out there and look to destroy the man in front of him. It's it's the opponent's number one d- duty to not allow that and protect themselves. But you know, t- fighters are tough. We're trying to win too. It's a competition, and you don't ever want to get stopped. You want to fight to the dear end. Going out on your shield is 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 the honorable thing to do from a fighter standpoint. So the fighters are different. You can't you can't put the 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 onus on them, but the referees there to protect the fighter. The, the the ringside physicians are there to protect the fighter. Your corner you would think would have some kind of of emotional psychological ties to the fighter and would would want to protect them and see them go on. You know, like you said, there were so many telltale signs for a tragedy on on the horizon, and you know, it, so many of them were there. And like you said, there wasn't a way for him to win other than landing the big Hail Mary shot. And listen, I, I watched the fight. Ados landed some good shots throughout the night. None of them seemed to really affect David Morell in a negative way. His defense was really on point. He was in absolute control. He was literally, he was having fun in there and basically just had complete control after the sixth round. And by the end, was literally calling the shots before the fight got ended. Those are all things that need to be taken into consideration when you're trying to decide whether this fighter this fighter can go on or not, because the consequences are dire. Very dire. And who's left to deal with it? Um, obviously, his family. Uh, but those who, in the media like us, who we don't want to talk about this. I want to talk about fun stuff. I want to talk about fights. I want to talk about you know rumors. I want to talk about the ridiculousness of the sport. But it falls on like people like like what we do, and it's another bad headline for the sport because ineptness. And you talk about I. Everyone likes to place blame. I understand that. It's part of our society. Um, in this case, um, I'm not going to put a lot of blame on his corner because they, they're they too invested in this. They're, they're too emotional. Yeah. They, they're they they're always looking for a way. To, they don't want to concede. They they're just have too much of a vested um, you know, investment in the fighter and in the contest. To me, this boiled down to the uh, the ringside position, who I think should have a lot more say in this, because of, according to the, the rules of, of Minneapolis and according to the rules of, of a lot of states, the referee is the only person that can stop a fight. So also the blame should also fall on Tony Weeks. Tony Weeks has been a referee for 20 plus years. He's been a part of some of the biggest fights in the history of boxing. What was he doing? An excellent referee in Excellent. I think he's one of the top three. He's going to live with this for a long time, and I'm sure he is because he's a lifer. He's a boxing lifer. The guy's a good dude. I've talked with him. Very good referee. What was he doing? What was he? What what did you not see in there from the eighth round on that everybody at home could see? You know, that's like, go ahead. No, I'm going to say sometimes these injuries happen and it's, I want to say it's a freak accident because it's boxing and you're punching each other in, in the brains, you know, like, it happens sometimes where it just takes one shot and a fighter never, never recovers, never wakes up. is never the same. Um, this was different. You know, this was different. This was, this is a prolonged beating. 
And those are the fights generally that end in, in, in the worst scenarios. It's not the guy who gets knocked out in the first round. It's the guy who gets knocked out in the 12th round after he's been beaten up for the last 11 and a half rounds. And that's exactly what we saw on Saturday night. Yeah, I don't like to use the punch stats as as I don't want the, our punch stats to be used for anything other than what they're already used for now in terms of they don't even tell that the the no we can't pick a winner from them they are literally for the fans and for the mm-hmm. broadcasters. But something that I've noticed from over the years of, of doing punch stats for fights is when you get into like the hundred the plus one hundred difference in punches landed, which it was after the eighth round one fifty five to fifty six, you're getting into a territory where the fight is out of control. Uh, in terms of the the B side trying to win, and it most likely being a beatdown, because you know they say that UFC MMA is is safer than boxing because you're most likely to get knocked out with one punch rather than an accumulation with the smaller gloves. This was an accumulation. This was it was disgusting, and the reason why I said I was like so upset about it is because you know I have a job where I literally count every punch I felt like I was watching like a guy being like just slaughtered like punch by punch and there was like nothing you could do there was no like uh I felt helpless uh, I don't I you know screaming at the TV and, and talking to some people afterwards it's like they felt the same way but I I think a lot went wrong and it's it's just mind-blowing that all that like, he was failed like it's like three defenses like he was failed by all three obviously the corner which we said doesn't you know has like a vested interest in the fight ringside physicians <laughs> you spend time at ringside physicians at, at these at these seminars and, and whatnot shouldn't they i think they should have a little more say in this they're the ones that are literally brought in without any emotion they're you're taking emotion completely out of it most of the time these guys aren't or women aren't aren't fight fans they're just hired to do a job they're a licensed physician they're doing their job they're taking emotions out of it i think they should have more of a say in this yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know. I've ever heard of a, of a referee not listening to a ringside physician who wanted to stop a fight. Um, I, I, I'm not, a, I'm not familiar with a, enough fights and, and being that close to understand that. But, um, I mean, but generally I do believe that that ringside physician, uh, physician should always have to say, and, and this brings up another point, one that we also have spoken about, you know, before off air is that why is there not a unified rule set for, boxing across across i mean across the globe really but at least in this country why it goes it, it falls on the state to state why would it be different rules for situations like that where it comes to who has the final say for stopping a fight whether it's the referee only the referee can stop the fight but then the ringside position can stop it as well i don't know it's just another one of the problems that we have in our sport and and believe me there's many um but this one directly affects the health and safety of the fighters and and, and that's a huge problem yeah, so uh, your boss Nully is still in a medically induced coma. His promoter put out a statement, and the statement kind of like long story it was a lot. It was hard to translate, but long story short, just pretty much said he's going to make it through. Um, he's it's looking up, uh, not life altering, not life threatening. But then there was a lot of people saying, "Well, if you're in a medically induced coma, isn't that like technically life, you know, life altering, altering or, for or, sure, or life? You know, he's in critical condition." Well, if you can never box again, your your life is altered. Especially if you're you know you're a professional fighter. That's what you do for a living. That's how you provide for your family. If you can't ever fight again, which I would assume that he will never will, that's life altering. So saying it's not life altering is is erroneous uh, fundamentally. I remember the first fight that I saw that really affected me in terms of a, a fighter safety. It was a uh, um, Magomed Abdusalamov who fought oh, Mike God. Perez in the Garden. Yeah. I was there, I was there. live. I was there too. Um, yeah. And, uh, I was there with my brother and 
I think I was probably 15 or 16 and 0 at the time. And, and I literally, I walked into my promoter's office and I quit. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not making enough money to, you know, I just watch a guy. Basically, I thought, you know, he was in a coma, a coma at the time. I said, I basically just watched a man die on Saturday night. Like, I don't, this, this isn't, I don't make enough money to do this. This isn't, this isn't worth the rest of my life uh, with the way things are going. So, you know, get me a big fight or, or, or I'm done. Um, you know, it worked out for me, obviously, but, you know, that, that has always affected me. And it's something I, that I've hung with for a very long time. And that was another situation where, the chain of command really let down the fighter. And I believe there was a massive, massive lawsuit regarding that against the New York State Athletic Commission, which changed a lot of things moving forward. But, you know, we're in a similar situation now where, you know, it's, it's almost like the toughest of the fighter, it, it goes against them. You know, it, that's what the job of everyone else around them to do is fighters are supposed to be tough. This is what we do. We fight and we fight to the end and we try and find every way to win. But you got to be protected from yourself. Being yeah. too tough is 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 a detriment. Being too tough, having a too brave of a corner. Um, corners rarely stop fights when they should be stopped. A lot of times when fights get stopped prematurely, we, you know, a lot of see a lot of fights, ah, I was stopped too early, throwing stuff. Like, rather it be too early th than too late. And we're seeing that more in New York because of that uh, fight um, a few years back where it was a $20 million lawsuit. It was the biggest lawsuit awarded in the history of New York State. You know, not just sports or, or, or anything. And it's changed the way that, for I know this for a fact, it's changed the way that fights are conducted in New York state. It's a lot stricter now fights end a lot earlier there. It's really hard to get licensing for uh, insurance and, and all that. Uh, maybe that's how it should be. You know, it's a very dangerous sport and there needs to be a better chain of command. And I, I agree with you so much about the, the state to state nonsense, you know, there's different rules uh, in terms of same day weigh-ins is different. Uh, that, not really state by state, but that's more of like different uh, commissions and different, you know, the IBF has their rules, which I know you don't like, and we're going to get onto that in a second, but all in all, unfortunate, uh, obviously uh, terrible situation. It, it, it is not great for the sport, not especially after some of the headlines, you know, we're dealing with PEDs and boxing. Imagine now Morel comes out, not, this is, he's not on there, obviously he's, he's, been drug tested but in a situation where a fighter's on peds and he puts a fighter in a coma then what then what and then we're having a really bad conversation yeah i mean that, that that's again that's one of the reasons why we talk about this stuff and it's one of the reasons why uh, i myself and i know you are too are so adamantly against peds because it, listen this is this is a dangerous dangerous sport this is the most dangerous sport in the world we have more deaths in this sport than any other sport in the world probably several of them combined and uh, it's just yeah, peds are a whole nother story. And we've, we've talked that to the to the death, and I'm sure we'll talk it again. Um, you know, but yeah, it's just this this sport has no has no room for error when it comes to these things. There's no room for cheaters. There's no room for for the officials and the overseeing bodies to 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 let things slide or, you know, it, it sucks to see this is this is one of those situations that um, hits hard, hits home. You know, I got a heavy heart tonight. Yeah, I was very upset um, when I got the, the the official word because I was pretty upset watching the fight. And then yeah. I, I tweeted out afterwards. I was like, man, this your boss Nully tonight took a very rough beating. I'm, you know, I'm pretty a scary beating. Went to sleep, didn't hear anything the following morning. Uh, you know, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a reporter. I don't I wouldn't even know who to call. Uh, I figured someone was on it. And Dan Rayfield was uh, he's one of the very best in the business. He's one of the only true journalists uh, in the in boxing, placed a call to, to the uh, hospital, 
And that's when he started digging up. And that's when he started getting word that he's in a medically induced coma. And then I just lost it, man. Like, I was just like, I was just, it just hurt. Like, it was just tough. It's a tough headline. And it was just tough to watch that close. Um, but it's important so we can figure out how to change this. And that's, that's why we're doing this uh, podcast too, or covering this is to figure out solutions because can't let it happen again. You know, it's a dangerous sport. It can happen with literally one punch, but there needs to be better precautions uh, where fighters aren't failed like that. And I would ask you, Chris, like, you know, a lot about, you know, the weight cut uh, process, you know, a lot about training, obviously that's what, that's your bread and butter. Um, is there any, Anything that could be changed in the lead up to a fight, the training uh, to prevent this. I wouldn't say prevent like the 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 fights not being stopped on time, but preventing traumatic brain injuries. Can that be fixed before you step in the ring? It can never be fixed. It can never be completely I, I, I prevented. I worded that wrong. I feel like, I no, feel no, like no. better prevented. Yeah, 100 percent. And it can never be prevented. But, you know, it's it's, it's part of the sport. And, um, you know, but there are certain things that you can allow, look out for. I mean, a lot of a lot of fighters. The what the consequences of, of, of fight night often happen in the gym. There's a lot of a lot of the damn probably most of the damage that happens in a fighter's career happens in the gym. Sparring, uh, really tough sparring sessions, gym wars guys not wearing headgear when they spar to get prepared, prepared for professional fighting without headgear, uh, which is silly. Um, you know, and, and again, back to the gym wars, these, these, these guys who, who pride themselves on, on going hard in the gym I and mean, we don't get paid to, 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 to go hard in the gym. We get paid on fight night. So saving it for fight nights are really important, but listen, you got a long career. The rounds add up. There's only so much damage the human brain can take. The human brain is, is extremely, extremely fragile. Um, there are certain things you can do to, 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 to try and strengthen yourself in terms of proper strength and conditioning, strengthening, you know, neck, your neck, um, uh, being, being properly fueled and hydrated during your sessions. And which leads me into a perfect segue into, into hydration. We're talking about weight cuts and you're talking about, um, you know, rehydration clauses and things that will limit a fighter's ability to rehydrate. So when they're going into the ring, uh, they are their true selves and not, and not a diminished athlete. When you are in a dehydrated state, what happens is your brain actually shrinks, which allows for more space within the cranium, within that cerebral spinal fluid space. With more space between your brain and your skull allows for more movement. Your brain is literally like a big piece of jello that sloshes around inside your skull. A concussion happens when that jello hits this, the, the, the skull wall. So a lot of times you get hit, you have that that movement, that whipping motion, those knockouts where you see a guy get hit in the chin, his head yeah. spins. Yeah. The brain swirls around within that kind of a fishbowl and smacks against the side one way, smacks against the side the other way, which is why when you see a fighter hit his head on the, on the ground on the way down, it's so dangerous. You get that second concussive impact after they've already been hit. Their brain has hit the, the wall so one way and then hits the, it hits the wall the other way as, as you hit or hit the ground. So you get that double impact, which is extremely, extremely dangerous. Um, you know, so, and that's why you, you alluded to earlier, we, we don't see this as much in MMA and MMA is considered safer when it comes to striking because the guys don't get hit as often. Also, the contest is not as long. A 12 round contest is 36 minutes of action. There's more time for that athlete to dehydrate over time. There's also a very stupid rule where they only allow water in the corner and they only allow water to be consumed in, in the, in the multiple hours prior to you getting in the ring. This is very inside boxing or inside baseball. People that don't understand that you're supposed to be, if you're a main event fighter, you're supposed to be there three hours before the main event. You're only allowed water while you're in there. 
no food, no drink, no caffeine, no, no Gatorade, no electrolytes, none of that. Well, I I always knew it was, I always knew you couldn't drink anything else in the, like it's water in the corner. mm -hmm. Remember the, the black bottle? What fight was that? That was um, Aaron Pryor and right. Alexis Arguello. He had it's that like special fight. special sauce in there, but I did not know yep. you couldn't you couldn't you could only drink water in the three hours leading up to the to the fight. And it's only the water provided by the commission. You know, what, what so, would you? Well, if you had your way, what would you be drinking and, and eating? At the very least, sugar and, and like a, a electrolyte Gatorade, something like that. I ate something with, with carbohydrate in it so I can maintain my, my, my glycogen stores, maintain my electrolytes. Um, you know, especially after a rough cut, you know, you've got tw- a rough weight cut. You've got 24 hours to rehydrate properly. And, um, you know, sometimes you need every minute you have leading up to fight night. And fights are long. A 12-round contest, 36 minutes of action at the highest intensity level that you can ever see in sport, you know, is 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 insane you know so so for you to only be hydrating with water as we know is is not enough when things are very very difficult um and high intensity you know it's it's really important that you're able to to hydrate and and fuel to keep yourself in it you know safe do you ever get a reason why like what, what's their reasoning behind that pets pets guys using stimulants stimulants prior to um you know prior to the contest um you know, so using uppers, using things that would be yeah, but know, if they bring in Gatorade, you can, you can stuff. be that. Yeah, so you can't have you can only have water. I, I, I honestly did not know that. And what do you think the reasoning is behind or not the reasoning, but like why could they provide you guys with like Gatorades or something like that? Yeah, I mean, um, I so I believe that that had been done um or been okay in California. I believe when when uh Fernando Vargas fought it might have been one of the Shane Mosley fights or possibly Mayorga, he did have Gatorade in the corner because, um, you know, they especially requested that, but you know, generally that's not, that's not allowed in New York. It's definitely not. They're very, very strict in New York about whatever you have, whatever you consume prior to the contest when you're in the back. And uh, it's only the water provided by the commission can't have any, anything else. Um, and, you know, I understand the idea is that, you know, you could, it's very easy to put a stimulant in your drink. Literally, it could be a, a a powder that is flavorless odorless colorless you put in your water bottle boom and you're ready you're ready to rock um but aren't they watching you pretty closely oh in new york forget it i mean i fought almost all of my fights in my boxing my boxing career in new york and it's it is the strictest commission in the world they are following you everywhere you go. They they are very adamant about making sure that they have eyes on you at all times. They follow you into the stall. Um, they check out everything that you're drinking. You're only allowed the water that they have available. You know, so I have always said I have I'm I come on fight night. I step over the threshold into that back arena as the latest possible without getting literally phone calls from the promoter that you know it's 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 time to you know you what are you doing? You're getting the fight's not going to happen. I step over that threshold and I'm finishing my carbohydrate protein drink and my last sip of coffee. So I get my caffeine and my carbs in and I wow. step in and I go in and it's just water until fight night. Um, you know, it, it's honestly, as, as a sports nutritionist, someone who is very, very on top of my supplementation and my, my carbohydrate intake and, and, and nutrition in general, uh, it's, it's aggravating every single time for me. And I, I'm like, this, this sport could be better. We could be safer and the athletes could perform better. 36 minutes without any carbohydrate is a long time. It's a yeah, long time, especially at the high levels of intensity that that boxing is, is contested at. That's very interesting. Something I did not know. 
um, and it's very useful information for, uh, for this conversation. It's something also I was thinking about is, is, is weight restrictions. We're talking about how you can never be able to prevent a traumatic brain injury in boxing, but there are ways that you can, you know, kind of make it more safe. And when it comes to it, mm -hmm. there are a lot of fighters who fight way above their natural weight. Um, we call them weight fight way below. Or what fight weight below. We call yeah. them what they fight above, we right. call or below, I should say. They call them weight bullies. You know, David Benavides, for example, is a weight bully by definition. He probably walks around at 190, maybe even more, fights at 168 pounds. I don't know what he does in between fights. He probably uh has gotten better with it, but a lot of these guys walk around and they get they blow up in between fights and then they kill themselves uh to make the weight, like you said, and that's not a good thing to do because you become dehydrated. And we just you just spoke about what that the dangers that does um, to the brain. What about this? Um, in a perfect world, you would have to stay within ten percent of your weight class, or you're forced to move up. I know it will never happen, but is there anything behind that in terms of you can't blow up in between fights where you have a ridiculous weight cut, which puts you uh, makes you dehydrated and makes your brain more likely or to receive really bad damage well number one it would be nearly impossible to police that you know Absolutely. how you how often you can check the fighters but also i mean human beings are so different individuality amongst people is 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 varied is wide and some guys do gain a lot of weight and they and listen how are you going to compare a guy who gains you look at him and he's Maybe he's 10% over his body weight and, but he's just chubby. He just got fat. He likes to eat his sweets and he just, you know, whatever. but then you got a guy who gets, who's, you know, 10% over and he's still just as ripped and he's got six back abs and just filled in his muscles and he just put on some, some good weight. And now he's got to really restrict himself. So, you know, and you can lose body fat during training camp, depending on how long your training camp is. So like if you're three months out, you can lose a tremendous amount of body fat in that time. So it would be impossible. I don't think it would be you know, fair to do that. Um, I don't, I don't know what the fix is. I don't, um, one, one method that they've been using to try and fix this is they're trying to do same day weigh-ins. I know the IBF has a rule about that. It's plus 10 pounds, which first of all, it's an absolute number of plus 10 for every weight class, which makes absolutely no sense. If it, if you're going to set that limit, it would have to be a percentage because how can a 175 pounder be allowed 10 pounds to gain, but also a flyweight who's, you know, 112 or 108 be allowed to gain 10 pounds. It's a completely different number. So having it being arbitrary 10 pounds makes zero sense. Second of all, why are we limiting how much you can rehydrate in order to every, like I said earlier, everyone's different in terms of what they need to feel like themselves and to make sure that the brain is hydrated. There's no arbitrary number for that either. You know, hydration status is different amongst everyone. Everyone's different depending on your lean muscle mass, depending on your body fat, depending on how you actually acquire that hydration leading back up to your, your, your natural weight. So making a fighter remain dehydrated overnight after weighing in where you're going allow 10 pounds where a lot of fighters cut 15 or 20, even the week of a fight, um, you know, I just, I don't like that idea. And I think it leads to fighters who are stressing themselves out the night before a fight, not getting that restful sleep that you really need in order for your brain to work properly for your body, your muscles to recover. Um, you're just, you're just, you're taking away from, from the sport and the athletes in, in, in general. What is the F, uh, I was to say FBI. What is the IBF's, uh, reasoning behind that? 
Well, I, I think a lot of it comes from, uh, honestly, there's a, there was a, uh, a fight that comes to mind, Arturo Gatti, when he fought Joey Gamache. And it, I was actually at that fight as well. It was one of the most vicious, yeah. brutal knockouts you'll ever see. That was a bad And, um, our, you know, Gamache was a, essentially a 130-pounder. And I believe they fought at 140 pounds. And there was a lot of talk about Gotti actually never making the 140 pound. Like he jumped on the scale as soon as it got to 40, jumped off and then started guzzling water and that he had gained over 20 pounds on fight night, that he was in, in the, the, the low to mid one sixties. And Joey Gamash was like 42, like 100, 142 pounds. Like he gained very, very little weight. And you know, the size difference was insane. And uh, you, it was very obvious. And, and Arturo not only was a much bigger man, but was a brutal puncher. He could really, really punch. Had real knockout power. And fighting a much smaller man who did not rehydrate to anywhere near the same size. And he took a vicious beating and a bad knockout. And that that opened up a lot of people's eyes. Again, this was in New York. It was on the under, undercard of uh, Oscar De La Hoya and uh, I believe it was Coley. It was um, one of uh, De La Hoya's comebacks. And brought a lot of eyes to that. And it made people think, oh, well, we can't have these guys who can gain 25 pounds between the way and the fight, you know, fighting fighting these smaller guys. And there there was an idea of going back to the same day weigh-in. I am adamantly against that. Because, again, we're talking about hydration. We're talking about being able to rehydrate the brain. Fighters are going to cut weight no matter what. I don't care what you tell them. I don't care if you tell them they got to weigh-in and step in the ring. They're going to try and get any competitive advantage they can get. And the fact that everybody does it doesn't even really make it a competitive advantage as much as, as it levels the playing field. We don't see the drastic size differences in highly competitive fights at a higher level. The biggest difference I've ever seen was uh, like Floyd Mayweather versus Canelo Alvarez when they fought many moons ago. And yeah. Canelo was the much bigger guy, much younger guy. Guess what? It didn't matter. It didn't matter. At that, at that level, the size, you're not getting those mismatches where a guy's going to get hurt. Because at that level, those guys, everybody's good. They're good at protecting themselves. They're, mm -hmm. you know, it's a highly contested fight. It's competitive. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a champion versus a, a journeyman. That's where you see those injuries from guys being too big, not, not at the higher levels. So I think that the, the, the looking glass, looking glass should not be at those types of fights in terms of the guy getting too much weight. It should be, you know, guys not being able to, to, to rehydrate and to, especially at the higher levels. Yeah, so that's maybe something that could be looked at um, in terms of before the fight even starts, before, you know, the, your your weight cut, like the sparring sessions that you talked about. No one's regulating sparring sessions. That's where all the damage happens. Now, you know, when I did it. Uh, your team, with your team needs to be looking out. Right. And then, like we said, that goes right back to your corner there. You, you can't. I, I obviously I put a lot of blame on everyone on Saturday night, but the, the least of it, I would put on the corner because they're just too invested. They just want to win by any means. Same thing for these sparring sessions that I hear about that are or, you know, that go on too long and they're too brutal and no one's regulating those and talk to anyone in boxing. They'll tell you that, you know, the damage, most of the damage a fighter uh, takes in their careers during sparring. Much Everybody's got the stories of the of the gym wars and, you know, uh, sparring multiple days in a row, sparring, uh, you know, 12, 15 rounds, doing five minute rounds, um, you know, and, and you always you always want tough sparring. Like that's, you know, everybody says that oh, I need some tough sparring. I think, yeah, but not every session can, should be tough. It shouldn't yeah. it shouldn't be three days a week. You're in with killers because you're getting killed. You're killing each other. That's what we that's what killers do. So. You know, granted, you sh you got to be working your defense. You got, but not everybody can do that. You know, I remember being in Robert Garcia's gym, and we were talking about Floyd Mayweather, 
And one of the fire, one of the the boxers in the gym was like, ah, I don't like the way Floyd fights. And and Robert basically said he was like, if you could fight like him, you would. <laughs> you can't, so you don't. You know, and that that's that's the that's the reality of it. Defense is tough. Defense is the, is the hardest part of the sport. Um, you know, if you if everybody can go in there and fight without getting hit, they you know they would, but that's just not the reality. Yeah, Floyd will always say, I left this game with all my faculties. You know, he says that it's like one of his catchphrases, a hell of a fighter. Uh, I left the sport with all my faculties and yeah, because he didn't get hit and it's really hard not to get mm-hmm. hit. Like you said, um, obviously I, I brought up a uh, holding position, ringside position is more accountable. Um, you know, they're the independent party here. They don't have any dog in the race. Uh, they're there without emotion. They should have a bigger say, uh, in the process of a fight that we think could get out of control being stopped. How about stricter punishments for rabbit punching? Uh, there was no rabbit punching in this fight. Uh, but there was in the Pritchard Cologne fight. Uh, he is now a mm-hmm. name in the boxing world because he suffered a traumatic brain injury uh, on a fight that he was got off to a really good start. Was probably one of the first five rounds. Started getting rabbit punched excessively. Complained to the referee. Referee said, "Deal with it yourself." <laughs> Ridiculous. Complained about headaches or a headache to his corner. Corner didn't do anything. Goes out there, the fight ends in in an odd fashion, and the something with the gloves being taken off, something something odd, but ends up the dude is is now a vegetable. Like he's still alive, but he went to a coma for over two hundred days. You know stuff like that. Like I see rabbit punches all the time. Like it didn't happen in this fight, but there it's very it's not enforced at all. Like the the, the judges don't. I mean the refs don't do anything. There's very rarely points taken away. Like that right there should be an easy fix. Yeah, uh, another fight that comes to mind is Mike McCallum and uh, Nigel Ben from the early 90s. A lot of rabbit punching in that fight as well. Um, him complaining to the ref saying, you know, back of the head multiple times throughout. Yeah, rabbit punching is tough because you're supposed to cut the body down, perfectly down the ears, and that becomes a, a legal area to strike. You know, behind that is not so much, but... You know, uh, you're you're hitting with a, a a rounded glove. It's not the most precise thing when you're looking at it. So, when you're getting hit, like, oh, did that hit on the ear? Did that hit behind the yeah. ear? Did that hit on his neck? You know, and sometimes the punches will often slide off. You know, of gloves and this and that. It's it's a very you know these are all difficult questions. They're all difficult fixes. Rabbit punching, unless they're really really blatant, is probably you know one of the harder ones to to um to call but yeah i don't i don't i don't know the fix for that one either you know it's just it's we this this sport is tough man you know, i know it's, and it's, i know i feel as hopeless the, as the i did action, saturday night yeah the action is live the action's fierce yeah you know trying to come up with solutions for this i mean those are just three that came to the top of my mind uh the weight stuff uh positions you know you know uh enforcing some of the rules a little more referees will be a little more this is how it always happens, though. Like uh, after the the, the Magomed, uh, Pritchard Cologne, Daniel Franco. Now this one, Patrick Day. Patrick, Patrick Day, Day was a good friend of mine, someone I've known for a long time. Patrick was it was a was a, a different case, right? Patrick was in a very competitive fight. Um, not so much scoring wise, he was losing the fight because he got dropped a couple times. But he was he was in the fight fighting, and he was landing, and he was he was there. Right. Um, I think I think the issue with Pat was having too many tough fights in a row and and pat was a is a really interesting case because i don't know pat personally pat's the guy who stays in shape year round 
He never gets out of shape. But that was a detriment as well because he stayed in the gym. He had a very, very tough fight with um, uh, the Dominican fighter uh, who's fantastic. He just beat Derevinchenko. Adamas. Um, Adamas, right? And Adamas is, is, a, is a beast. And Pat went 10 rounds with, with Adamas. And then three months later, he gets a call to yeah. fight. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name, but he shouldn't do have you think that. Pat stayed out of the gym? No. No, it's too close. Way too close. So, but also, do you think Pat stayed out of the gym from sparring? No, of course. Like, oh, I got to fight. I got a big fight. I get this. Is, this is my career. I got to do it. And he went back to the gym and he started sparring again. We talked about the damage that happens during sparring, and he fought two killers back to back, two two serious punchers, and and he's got. And then you add you add up the two camps, and it's a very short period of time. Um, and Pat again, like you said, he's a like I said, he's a very healthy guy. He's in shape. You think the best. He's in the fight. He's competitive. He's you know he's losing, but he's fighting every moment. And one punch and, you know, it was one shot and he just never woke up. So you've got so many different ways for things to go bad. And, but I do believe there's always signs and whether it's in the ring itself or it's in the camp or prior. Yeah. And that's why, you know, the fighters in there alone, but man, it, it, you know, it takes a village. It takes a team. It takes a pit car crew for a fighter to, to make it to fight night and to make it out of fight night, you know, healthy. So uh, like, like we keep saying, there's a lot of lines of defense in order to protect that fighter without leaving it uh, just upon them and their skills. Yeah. I mean, it could be pretty much that's the, you know, summary of this whole conversation is that there isn't one way to fix it uh, without totally yeah. like neutering the sport or getting rid of it. It's just, there's so many different signs out of the ring. Like you said, inside of the ring. Saturday night, it seemed like they were all right there in front of you. That's what makes it even more egregious. And that's what makes it even more upsetting. Yeah, man, I was just, it really got to me on Saturday. And, uh, you know, I haven't felt like this since the Golovkin-Dervinchenko fight, which I was at ringside. And it was one of the most, the most grueling fight I've ever Brutal. seen ringside. Yeah. And I remember walking away saying, like, why do I, why do I do this? Like, I don't, I don't even fight. Like, why do I, like, why does anyone come here to watch this? Why? It's just so... Like there are moments like this. Like I think if you have a conscience, you you feel the same way. Um, obviously the highs are awesome, like great fights, and and for the most part, I always I maintain that. I'm sure you feel the same way, Chris. Like boxing saves more lives than it takes. Um, their highs are awesome in the sport. Uh, but this is the one side of the sport no one really wants to discuss. Um, but it seems to be happening way too much lately. Um, and it sucks. Uh, there is no real fix. Uh, you just hope that at, at the at the least um, we don't see another repeat of, on, of what we saw on Saturday when the signs are right there. When there's a hundred punch uh, difference in, in landed shots, the swelling on the face, the blinking, uh, the fact that he was not going to win the fight, uh, the fact that he was carried to his corner by the other fighter, no oxygen. I mean, geez, I mean, it just come on. Now, the ringside position, like we can go through it over and over like it, that that was bad we got to fix that where everyone can see you know the stuff that you talked about the weight cutting uh sparring fans don't see that uh you know people outside the sport don't see that people saw what happened saturday night whether they weren't watching or they found out about it because tmz reports on it and it's just bad it's not good for the sport yeah i mean we're both here because boxing is truly is the best sport in the world but We've got a really good way of punching ourselves in the eyes and giving ourselves black eyes for everybody else to see very, very often. And and seems like, I don't know, we're, we're just going through a, a, a rough stint at the end of this year. We've got a lot of black eyes 
Um, but you know, you're usually the, uh, the optimist, but I'm, I'm, I feel like, you know, the, the, the good things of the sport are still there. You know, the lives that are saved are still there. The, 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 ama- the magic moments are, are still there and we're going to see many more of those. It's just, it's just tough because this is, this is so in our face and it's, and it's, yeah. You know, it's it's the the proximity of it is is um is tough, but that's 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 why we do this. We're talking we're talking about this when it's when it's when it's raw. Yep, exactly. So everyone's got to do their job so we can enjoy those big moments. You know, referees do your job, positions do your job, corners, uh, fighters, all that. Everyone do their job so we can have more of those uh fun nights. So, yeah, a segment that I think is very important, and I hope a lot of fans understood some of the intricacies of it. Uh, there are some fights this weekend. You're heading out to Cleveland, right? Cleveland to with, with Justin sunny, Shackle. beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> Getting mm-hmm. out of the uh, hurricane. You're going to be with Shackle. You're going to be with Erdman, Claudia Trejos. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the oh, fights yeah. this weekend. We're going to see Montana Love in there with with Stevie Sparks. What do you know about this card? Uh, it seems like it's not the biggest names, but they seem like evenly matched. Yeah, they're not the biggest names and they're not the guys that are really like deep into their their career, like in terms of being top contenders. But there's a lot of good matchups and a lot of fights that uh, potentially could not only be competitive, but we can see some upsets. Yeah, that's the the zone card this weekend. Not the biggest fight weekend. Uh, November is 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 pretty scarce besides the 26th Cepeda uh, in, in pro grade. But you got Sonny Edwards fighting on Friday night. Against Felix Alvarado, Sonny Edwards is the champ at 112. Van Rodriguez is going down to 112. These two have been circling each other for a while. Um, Felix Alvarado is a pretty tough opponent. So Edwards gets through that. Maybe we can see Bam versus Edwards at 112. That's something I would want to see. Yeah, and I think this is something that you, we see in the lighter weights. Matchups get made. You know, like we, we see these guys, if they want each other, they happen. You know, there's, there's not a lot of wiggle room. Um, there's no ducking. Uh, so, uh, as long as, as, as Edwards does his job, then I believe we'll be seeing that BAM fight pretty soon. Yeah. It was a discussion about our fighter of the year, um, debate last, last on Monday's episode that's got taken to the Twitter world. And it's, it's very, like, I'm, I'm starting to think maybe BAM might win it. Like, I, obviously, I, I, my pick was Bival, um, mm-hmm. which is a very like, good pick, right? Of course. And this is like revisionist history now on who Zerto is. Like, did Bival make him look like he did, or was he overrated to be to begin with? That starts to creep into your mind. Obviously, the Canelo win should be enough, but he was also Canelo was, you know, definitely undersized. But on the flip side of that, no one was picking Bival. I mean, a few were. I think you said maybe Bival can give him trouble, but no one was really like putting their chest out and saying that Canelo was going to beat B- Bivol. So there's a, there's a way you can break that down. Then you look at Bam, three fights, uh, like jumping up and wait. So the, that that discussion, I'm, I'm interested to see who's going to win fighter of the year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I said, you know, last episode. I, I You know, I, I, I went out on a limb, I thought at the time, but I guess in hindsight, it, it's maybe not so much on a whim because I was looking deep into the wins. You know, like like again, the Quadros taking it on short notice, jumping up two weight classes, his first world title fight. That's that's badass. That is that gets my respect. And then they come back and, and do what he did to Rong Vasai. And granted, his third fight wasn't as spectacular or wasn't spectacular at all. You know, he still beat a top guy, you know. So he, I like I like busyness, you know, yeah. and Bivol had his two fights, and I get it. We know at the highest level, especially again, and those higher weights, it's different. It takes longer to make fights. Um, great wins, Canelo, obviously, but 
Yeah, I I uh, I hate to do it, but I had the same feeling with with Deserto. I'm like, was that guy that good? Because going into it, I'm like, ooh, it's a tough fight. He's physically, his size, his length, southpaw, undefeated, good skill. You know, like this is a, this is a, a tall task, and it wasn't. Yeah, you know, it makes you think like, is Zerto really that guy? You know, what are his best? You know, he struggled with Jesse Hart twice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back at at 68, um, he. You know, his, his he beat Sullivan Barrera very uh, in in very impressive fashion fashion. But I was in camp with Sullivan, and I know that you know he was off for a long time and was coming back, and you know he had some injuries that he was dealing with. So he's also an older fighter. Yeah. So he, yeah, when you look when you look past the numbers, is it as impressive? Uh, that's why I'm I'm still sticking with Bam. That's gonna be interesting. We're gonna see that at the end of the year who they pick for that one. Uh, other fights this weekend, we got Janabek, the one name. Uh, monster at 160 now fighting in the main event on ESPN. Uh, Sinisa Estrada makes her top ranked debut. That's over on ESPN. Let me get into the exhibitions, Chris. The exhibitions. I put this tweet out yesterday. Ricky Hatton, Marco Antonio Barrera, and Floyd Mayweather are all fighting this weekend. And the replies were hilarious. Like, what year is this? Let me fire up <laughs> HBO. Uh, you know, like, this is lit. Well, is that why you were on the HBO sweatshirt? Is yes, that why you got the HBO show shirt? You're going back 1973. This is why I was wearing it. I also tweeted a the video, the opening of the HBO theme. Uh, you know, the HBO theme song with the open animation. Oh, so good. All right, I'm ready so to run good. through a wall. And I tweeted, "Who's the one fighter when you hear that music? Who do you think of?" And the answers were awesome. Uh, to me, it's probably either Oscar or Floyd. What would you say? For me, um, it's going to be Oscar because that's the the first guy oh no no roy jones roy jones i think about roy jones man they're in they're in that heyday in the 90s yeah roy and 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 oscar were the two guys in the 90s that i saw fight the most and roy i mean dude ronnie have you gone back and watched roy yet have you got look have you looked at the at the, the highlights of of roy jones jr yet you do your homework ronnie i yes <laughs> i did watch roy Jones highlights and it's just absolutely insane it's it's not real. He's Michael Jordan with, with boxing gloves on. It's insane. He's yeah. tapping his ankle and cracking a guy. He's rolling this arm, hitting you with that arm. He's throwing left hooks from one corner to the other. He's knocking guys out with one punch. He's knocking you out with his hands behind his back. I mean, yeah. God, there's nobody like Roy. Um, no. Remember when he fought at Radio City? Right? He fought at Radio City Music Hall. First okay. guy to do it. There's, there was another one. I think Donaire and Rigendahl fought like 10 years after that. I saw, I was there for that. I yeah, was there same. for that. I was on the stage. I wasn't missing that one because I was too young for the, when Roy fought, uh, or I just didn't go to that one. Um, but Who did he fight at, at Radio City? I think Dave, uh, Harmon or David Telesco. I think it was David Telesco. Uh, it was a one. I was it, thinking it was, not... a, it was a pretty much a Roy, you know, easy win. Yeah, he dominated. But the best yeah. part about it was he came out from like a side door and there was like steps and he came out with Med, uh, Method Man and Red Man. And it, and Roy was on mic and he was rapping and he had like this, he had the um, tuxedo uh, robe mm-hmm. on. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my God. He had like, it wasn't like a robe, but it was like a tuxedo, but it was like cut off sleeves because it was Radio yep. City and like that's right. where the Radio City and it was yeah. He was like, I think him and Oscar, I think believe Oscar had the most HBO appearances of any fighter ever. Yeah. Because he, I think he, so. before they even went to full, full pay-per-view, it was Oscar like f- five times a year 
uh, certain years. Because he was knocking everybody out. He was knocking everyone out. So he needed like zero recovery time between fights. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but that that was the deal. Who, who did Roy fight? Here's a little trivia question. Who did Roy fight? But he fought. He played an amateur basketball. Oh game my god! The same afternoon. Another legend, uh, Ronnie. Roy Jones played an amateur basketball game during the day and then fought at night. That's how good he was. Really? Like, yeah. Borderline a, disrespectful. A world, a world title opponents. fight. <laughs> I remember my, yeah. uh, I didn't go to that's, that that's one. That's one for the Twitterverse. I remember my dad um, was talking about that when he came home from that fight. Like, you always come home Sunday after being away for the whole weekend, and, and, and he would be like, I remember him telling me about Roy Jones, and I remember him vividly telling me about Manny Pacquiao. Like when he watched Pacquiao's first mm. win on 2001 on HBO, where he was like, a late wow. replacement. Yeah. And he said, you got to watch this guy Pacquiao. He's going to be a, a major force. Uh, yeah. Those were the HBO days, but you're going to relive them this weekend. If you really want to Ricky Hatton versus Marco Antonio Barrera. Um, it's this one is at least for some, there's some charity involved with it. Hatton lost a ton of weight because he was at least two two fifty at one point uh, last year. Uh, he slimmed down Barrera. Obviously, uh, legend. Uh, they're doing it for some type of charity, but it's already sold out over in the, in the UK. Then you got Floyd Mayweather fighting Deji. Are you familiar with Deji, Ronnie? No, it uh, <laughs> doesn't sound, doesn't ring a bell. A YouTuber with 3 million subscribers. The zone was pumping up the his subscriber count. Um, that's that's a new one for me, Chris. You got tail of the tape. I'll give you every punch that didn't. I They were like, the graphic for this one was 3 million Instagram, um, whatever, three million Instagram followers, which is a million more than Lomachenko, who's number two as a boxer, not Ryan Garcia, who has nine million. That's where we're at with Floyd. Last I checked, this was boxing. It doesn't matter. Your followers aren't in the ring with you. Who gives a shit? <laughs> it's crazy, man. I, <laughs> well, I, I would listen. I, I was saying Floyd, I, I still adamant about this. Floyd doing exhibitions is it's cool. Uh, it's not unprecedented. It's been done before. Uh, you know, you only a select few can do it, like the Barreras, the mm-hmm. Hattons, to a lesser degree. Uh, Pacquiao's not getting into the exhibition. You know, Ali has done it. But I'm starting to wonder a little bit why Floyd is doing so many of them. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, money comes to mind first. And it's also like, obviously, Floyd also likes to be in the limelight. But it's not like these are doing, like, crazy numbers. It's not like they're doing like the whole boxing world stopping what they're doing to, to watch what Floyd is doing. He's doing it because he's getting like these ridiculous paydays. And this one is in Dubai. He's getting 10, 15 million just for these four round. They're not even exhibitions. They're not even sparring. I wouldn't even, it's like below sparring at this point with Deji. So it's like, why is he doing these? Is it, it's gotta be a money thing. I, I mean, I, listen, one of the fastest ways to spend your wealth is the gamble. And we do know that he, he likes the gamble. So it could be that, um it could be that he's just bored this is all he's ever done you know like, yeah. this is what he knows this is what he loves to do um and he understands that age is real but these guys can't hurt him and he knows that you know i'm sure his sparring is very very um specific and it's 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 curated and he's curating his opponents these guys can't hurt him and yeah. He knows that, and he can make $15 million doing it, $10 million doing it for a sparring session. Listen, everybody's done it. All these guys have come back. All the major stars in the sport over the years have done it. Ali did it. Tyson's done it, where you watch him work out. He gets trained. He fought Roy Jones. Like They all do it. And listen, make that money again. I mean, he made more money than everybody, <laughs> you know, anyone. Um, he definitely doesn't, maybe shouldn't need the money, but 
who knows you know it, it, every man has has the uh they can spend their money any, any way they want so right. they have the right to earn and he's still a name and you know there's people in dubai or when he goes to japan and they've never seen him fight that's kind of cool but part of me was like, man, like he's doing so many of them, like I've like maybe one a year, but he's on like a circuit now. He's pretty much like more active now than he was during his actual career. Oh, absolutely. He used to fight twice a year, sometimes once, you know, when he was in those big fights. But these fights, they're not they're not fights. Like sure. Ray Robinson did it. He did his he did his international tour. He did his tour of Europe and was fighting wherever you fight, you know, once every couple of weeks and whatnot. Yeah. Like you said, people haven't seen him fight. I remember my my martial arts instructor who was a kickboxer way back and then took like 15 years off and then he said you know my kids never got to see me fight live so i want to fight and i was like oh i respect that he came back with two fights but he fought really tough guys <laughs> and i was yeah, like that, don't do that do what floyd's doing <laughs> yeah do fight fight deji the dejis of the yeah. world and uh tommy fury's on the card um i bring him up because uh i think we both want to see him fight jake paul jake paul will be there i think jake paul is friends with deji they come from the youtuber world uh, I also think Jake Paul's there too. To if if Fury wins, he'll get in his face. He will do the theatrics and build towards a fear, Tommy Fury Jake Paul fight, which um, I think should happen in the UK. Uh, so that is this weekend. A little bit of something for everyone. <laughs> One hundred and twelve pound fights. You got Janibek. You got Estrada. You got Montana Love. Where Chris will be on the call. You got Mayweather, Hatton, Marco, Antonio Barrera. Wow, a smorgasbord of weirdness and the sport that we love. The WBC convention also this weekend. You ever been to a convention, Chris? Multiple, yeah, bunch it of bunch of different ones. Like a mixture between a big ass party and the most boring PowerPoint presentations ever. Well put. Well put. And for anyone who has never been to one, they have no idea what it's like. But um, yeah, that's that's what it is. It's 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 a big party with a lot of like it's celebrities. It's boxing celebrities. You're gonna see people from you know decades ago. You're gonna see the hottest new prospects, you're gonna see world champions, you're gonna see legends of yesteryear. Um, and you're going to see stupid bureaucratic talks about who should be ranked where and why yes. and promoter promoters standing up being like, why guys should be number two. And oh my yeah. gosh. I, I actually watched the live stream uh, of it and it was like petitioning our boy, Alex Dombroff was petitioning. Um, the one, the first days of petitioning about where, why my guys should be ranked here. Um, why guys that were on PED should be fit back into the rankings uh it's it's it is interesting to watch a little bit if you're like really into the how the sausage is made in the boxing world but also like the first night was like this big party on the beach it's the 60th edition of the wbc convention and you know i think the green belt's probably one of the most prestigious ones but like you really got a, a glimpse of where these uh sanctioning fees are going when you see the budgets they have for these parties right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've been to i've been to some parties that were not related to uh conventions that were you know really <laughs> related to the bodies or people in the bodies yeah, yeah there's, there's the, the money is uh the money's being spent uh in fun ways that's we'll what i mean say. you can but, see that like you can tangibly see it every sanctioning fee over the last um whatever years is put into those parties uh but there is some some stuff comes out of it uh, today or or when we record today is the day where they do the mandatories 
and a lot of fights that are either have been uh, announced already or some fights that are already could be in motion. A lot of fights that aren't even going to happen. Deontay Wilder versus Andy Ruiz was uh, approved or ordered today. Errol Spence, Keith Thurman uh, was ordered today. I think Wilder Ruiz will probably happen. Spence Thurman, we've heard the rumors through the grapefruit. Wouldn't be surprised if that one happens. WBC ordered Benavidez versus Plant. That fight's already in motion. And uh, I think Benavidez's handler, Samson uh, Lukowitz, said it's happening in March, not January. So that was a little nugget today. This one has, I would put it, that negative percent chance of happening. Stevenson versus Isaac Cruz. Love to see it. Stevenson's with top rank. Isaac Cruz is, Isaac Cruz is with uh, PVC. That one's never going to happen. Tiafimo, Sandor Martin, probably not going to happen. Fondor versus Tony Harrison, like that one. Maybe that could happen both with PVC. And then Fulton versus... Right, and then Fulton versus Figueroa, too. Uh, but it was also revealed that Fulton is moving up to 126. Oh. And, yes. Hmm. And another thing, too, Chris, in a way, was, it was revealed Mauricio Suleiman pretty much said, in a way, is, is his next fight in December at 118 will be his last at 118. He's yeah. going to 122. So everyone was like, oh, great. So now we can get Fulton versus in a way. At 122, because exactly. because if, if Inoue wins that last belt, the WBO one, they have that clause where if you win a WBO belt and you move up, you can automatically fight the champion, the WBO champion in the next weight class, and that's Fulton. But then it comes out today that Fulton's moving to 126. Yeah, that that's that's news to me. I, I like the Fulton Inoue fight. I think Fulton stylistically is probably the only guy who could could figure out a way to win against Inoue. Otherwise, yeah. I think anyways, a bad, bad, bad man. He is he's an assassin in there. Um, but Fulton, like I said, stylistically, the matchup is there, and I can see a way for him to prepare a game plan in order to win that fight. But I bigger, guess I bigger. guess that ain't happening. Big Fulton's bigger yeah, and he's, bigger too. He's more active in terms of, of volume. Uh, but in a way has that equalizer. I'd probably favor yeah. in a way, but this doesn't look like it's I gonna happen too, anytime but... soon. In this one. All right. Yeah. That's all the news uh, for this week. Ronnie, casual corner. Ronnie, what do you got for us? We'll end the show on a funny note because uh, it's been a very serious show, but a very important one. So Ronnie's casual corner is back. Wow. Guys, I'm back. <laughs> uh, you know, the shades are back. Let's get casual one time. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this. I know Dan saw this, but Chris, let me know if you saw this as well. Daniel Cormier was on first take today, and uh, he had a top five top five fighter of all time. And uh, I'm for those that don't know, I'm just going to read out the list, and then I want to get your thoughts on this list. So this is not MMA fighters, it's not boxing boxers. It is fighters. Five. Number one, hmm. Floyd Mayweather Jr. Number two, Khabib. Nurmagomedov. Number three, the greatest, Muhammad Ali. Number four, George St. Pierre. And number five, Amanda Nunes. I'm just going to let you guys take it away. Thoughts? (laughs) Well, I saw this on Twitter, and I I audibly gasped. And it takes a lot on my Twitter feed, the the, the amount of boxing accounts that I follow for me to audibly gasp. It is one of the most ridiculous lists I've ever seen. And I like Daniel Cormier. You have any run-ins with Daniel Cormier, Chris? 
no, no. I just, I like a lot of his takes. I like his breakdowns. Uh, I think he's a great commentator, fantastic fighter. I actually, I had a run in with him when I was in high school. He wrestled one of my high school wrestling coaches who was still competing at the time at the world level. So I got oh, wow. to see him actually compete as a wrestler long before he ever put on any kind of MMA gloves. Legend. Guy's a legend. Uh, legend. I liked him yeah. when he when he fought uh, John Jones and he was getting clowned for like crying after and everyone was all, all yeah. over him. But I like that. I like Daniel Cormier a lot. Um, this is like the most ESPN first takey list I've ever seen. How do you first of all, like how do you combine boxers? with mma fighters one sport's been around for what 200 years the other sport's been around for 30 years so it's it's going to be top heavy with, with fighters uh boxers that's that's number one number two is he had freaking khabib ahead of ali what's the criteria though like <laughs> is it accomplishment what, what what are we doing here is it accomplishment is it pound for pound if they fight each other Dude, am i yeah, watching well, that you think i was I'm thinking watch that segment uh, I thought when you first started, I was like, oh, who's going to be who's like the baddest man on the planet? If we had the fight. What do you know? Who's going to win in a fight? Listen, I got John Jones. Number one. Number two is Tyson Fury. <laughs> Those two yeah. guys are beating everybody in the planet. But yeah, no, the criteria on that makes zero sense. I can't even I can't even decipher where he's going. If I was going to put one MMA fighter on my list, obviously, my list is going to be very boxing heavy and Floyd Mayweather. I hate to break it to fans out there. It probably isn't even in my top 10. Uh, fighters of all time uh he's in the definitely <laughs> 10 to 20 with pacquiao as well ronnie's just like wow mm -hmm. can't believe and they should that. be right next to each other honestly right top uh, being in the top 20 fighters of all time is like a huge honor like the sport has been around for like 200 years like being in the top 20 is like you are like the point one percent of the the entire sport so he's got floyd number one he's got khabib two which is hilarious ali three <laughs> George St. Pierre, Amanda Nunes. I mean, how about he's only got two boxers in the whole list? It's like the two most popular. Obviously, Ali belongs on, on the list. Um, but Ali's, he's the most popular. Nunez, who Nunez, her, 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 her career run wasn't even that long. You know, it wasn't, it was, I mean, I guess it was, it was long for MMA because they knock each other off all the time. But like, yeah, she just, she just got beat. Um, she, she came back to win her title, but still. The cockamamie list. Right, I, the, 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 dude, it makes zero. It makes zero sense. I don't know even where he was going. He was <laughs> throwing dart, throwing darts in the dark at that. At, at I that think one. that he showed up to the set at first take in New York City because everyone's here in New York City for the UFC. I'm going <laughs> on Saturday night. Um, I think he showed up and they were like, "We need you to make a top five fighters of all time." And uh, he was like, "Ah, shit!" Across sports. Yeah, across two different sports, uh, one that's been around for only 30 years. And he was like, ah, fuck, um, Mayweather, uh, Khabib, and just started rattling him off as he was going to get like a coffee or something in the green room. That I, I hopefully that's, you know, and I, I tweeted Not surprised he didn't put John Jones, his conqueror, in there because he's one of the best fighters who's ever lived in terms of, you know, who well, can beat who and the guy. He's a bad One man. of my replies was that he only, um, the replies are hilarious, but one of the replies that I got was he was only putting fighters that did not test positive for PEDs. Okay. <laughs> I mean, who got caught for not, who got caught for yeah, not exactly. testing positive for PEDs? Right. We could do yeah. a whole other PED okay. episode, but it's it's those who have not mm -hmm. got caught because. We, we, we will. I'm sure we will. That's <laughs> just, it's, a, it's a never ending problem in the sport. Yes. So that was a funny list. Um, saw today. Uh, casual MMA fan Dan will be heading to the Garden Saturday night. 
got a suite with my MMA Island friends. Um, my brother Nick will be there celebrating his 40th birthday. I might take my shirt nice. off. I pop my shirt off. Be just send pictures. Guy. Pop it off. I might just pop get into the it's you know, season. <laughs> I might get into the whole cosplay of being an MMA fan. Rip the shirt off. Uh, shave my head. Maybe. I think and that should that should be our spinoff show. The casual MMA fan. We do a casual, casual MMA segment. corner. I might show up tomorrow. I think I have a press pass to one of the events and I don't know. Cause cause a ruckus. Talk to Dana. Um, I'm excited though. All jokes aside, like I I respect every fighter that steps in a cage or a ring. This card's loaded. Poirier, loaded. Good card. Chandler, sick fight. Israel Adesanya, with Pereira, sick. Both fight. are my boys, by the way. They're fighting each other. Chandler and Poirier. I've sparred with Poirier. I've known Mike for ten years. For? I can't root for you. I dude, they're 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 both they're both my dudes. I can't even root. I think it's gonna be an awesome fight. It's a great matchup. It's gonna be fireworks. Then you got the the women's fight, Zalai versus um, I'm butchering names, but I'm on them. I'm a casual MMA. I'm allowed to butcher names. Casual, uh, casual, casual Dan. Yeah, exactly. Casual MMA guy. And then uh, the guy starting it off, Dan. Not who's the guy starting it off tonight? I should know this. UFC two eighty one. Dan Hooker is always in good fights. He is the always first fight of the fights. night. He's uh, and then Frankie Edgar's on the card. Oh, we want to see. Yeah, we want to. Yeah. I think it's Jersey, his last Jersey zone. I think it's his last Jersey zone. Yeah, it's his last hurrah. Um, this is the guy that was fighting before it was even legal in. in... Yeah, he's been around longer than me. Yeah, he's been around forever. His his last fight didn't go well. Uh, his last couple fights didn't go well. Um, last Frankie couple fights, Edgar, yeah. You know, he's, he became like. Did you see the picture of him when he got kicked in the face? He turned into a Simpsons character. Yeah. Insane, yeah. insane. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to see no, that. Kicks. You don't I tell people all the time, man, kicks are different. Kicks are car accidents. It's not like getting punched. Kicks are a whole different thing. I don't even know how to reply to that. I've never been kicked. I don't miss being kicked. You haven't been kicked in a long time, Chris, right? Yeah, very long time. And you used to <laughs> not, do the not kicking. Like, not like in a fight. Yeah, I, used to, I, I miss kicking. I love, I love kicking people, but yeah, I don't miss getting kicked at all. I think we were talking with Zoe today, uh, for Zoe shout out, one of our, our We Got Ice guys at the office, and he was explaining how much he loves kickboxing. And I was like, well, Algeria was a freaking 20 and 0 champ. Sports to watch. Yeah. It really is an awesome. insane sport to watch. We did stats for it. Uh, it was really hard to keep up with it. Um, it's it, brutal. It's absolutely brutal. It's so fast paced, it's brutal, and the power is stupid. Knees, kicks. We had buttons for knees. Buttons for kicks and then button obviously the the stand the hand striking. And sometimes yeah. it was happening in like <laughs> all at once they would do bang, it all. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> and we were doing Yo, glory. listen, you know what doesn't happen? To, you know what doesn't happen in boxing? Guys don't break their forearms blocking punches. Guys don't break their shin bones kicking yeah, like, that's that's how hard these guys kick. Guys break their elbows, get pricked their forearms. I broke my elbow in a fight. It's it's like it's check, a brutal like, kick. Like checking it, right? Yeah, blocking. If you don't, if you block with one arm, your arm, a good kicker, you're going to break your arm. You have to, you literally have to block with two hands. You can't block with one. Oh, wow. Guys kick right. way too hard and shins, shins are sharp. Love that. Uh, yeah. So I'll be over at MSG. Uh, I'll be following the fights this weekend. I'll put, I'll turn on the zone on my phone to see your, your mug and uh, shackles and Claudia and, um, Erdman. Erdman. Uh, Ronnie, what do you got going on this weekend? This weekend might be in the warehouse doing some uh some stuff for, for the company, you know me. Just the warehouse. Company man. man, company man, Ronnie Jarrett. Grinding, 
grinding as always all right everybody um important conversation today uh next week we'll be breaking down more fights talking about the ridiculousness of the sport and everything that comes along with it um i forgot my my catchphrase again protect yourselves at all times stay out of dms we out